0: To the Heads Up podcast. I am Jason Rogers, the Head of School of Rundle College Society, and I'll be your host for this season's episode. With each new podcast, we hope to explore interesting topics relating to Rundle College student, faculty, and parent life. This season, you'll hear interviews with faculty, parents, alumni, students, and educational experts. Each episode will aim to provide an insight and context to the happenings in and around our community. Thank you for joining me and Everybody in the Rumble College society on this journey and I hope you enjoy this rumble experience. Welcome back to the Heads Up podcast. On today's episode, I've got the great opportunity to sit and chat for a while with Miss Kelly Adams. Now, for those of you who don't know Miss Kelly Adams, let me take just a second and introduce you to why she's somebody I've been really excited to interview, interview for some time. One of the absolute educational experts around here and a, a friend and mentor and a, yeah, just a real inspiration to us all. So welcome to the show, Kelly Adams.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no, it's been a long time coming. I mean, we first started the podcast and I think I contacted you like right away and said, let's do a podcast. And 37 episodes later. Here we are.
1: It's okay. dug out my notes from September.
0: We're good. <laughs> good. And not much changes in teaching excellence. So the content <laughs> will be relevant. Um, so let's get started. You've been at the Academy for uh, going on 10 years now. Yes. Amazing, right?
1: Yeah, it's flown by.
0: Yeah, totally. So uh, the Academy is a really neat, neat place to teach and work and learn as we've heard through uh, several of these podcasts. But I'm curious with your longevity and your success in the program. Uh, What would you quantify as like your secret to that success uh, when working with students here at the academy? I don't think there's
1: any secrets at the academy that way. I don't have any secrets but um, I think the biggest thing for me in terms of success is organization. Right, Um, That's a huge part of who I am and what yeah. I do um, but working specifically with the students I think we all kind of have in education regardless of whether you're at the academy or elsewhere mm-hmm. um, the same two things that really ring true which is high expectations of our students yeah. and then um, showing students that you care totally. if you have those two things and they buy into what you're putting out then you know we can all move our own mountain and work towards that
0: right on and we've talked a lot about um, high expectations and, and tons of relationship over the time in this podcast and also you know all ways in our hallways Uh, but I want to come back to to organization routines and structures like what are some of the things you do to help our kids And, and for those who are not totally familiar with the Academy we have a lot of students here who have learning disabilities or ADHD or both in fact all students have some combination of those Um, What are a couple of tools that you provide kids in that kind of organizational space that help them be successful?
1: Well, I think you can't take some of the organizational stumbles too seriously. Mm -hmm. Like, you need to meet students kind of where they're at. So, And teaching junior high in particular is, you know, you have to it humorously yeah um so you know that student who shows up with a disaster binder every morning is you know it turns into a bit of a running joke right now i have a game playing with my ta we're using class dojo um the goal this week was to get to a total for the year of 390 agenda signings yeah um and so that ultimately meant that for the last week and a half six out of eight of them had to get their agenda signed for the last few days right tomorrow's the last day of the contest everybody has to get their agenda (laughs) signed to get the prize it's like it's the big deal in Mrs. Adams' TA right now. What's um, What's the prize of security? The about? prize will be an extra day of snacks next week, brought by me. <laughs> it's always food. It's junior yeah. high, so yeah. so food's the motivator, right? Um, so you know, we do little things like that. Um, I find technology's been really good in terms of supporting organization and executive functioning. Yeah, um, there's so many good little apps. out the you know help now and just that idea of showing things up on the screen so using air server to show who's gotten their genocide and how many times there's a little bit of peer accountability
0: on that totally um,
1: so yeah so holding personal accountability peer accountability group accountability family accountability those right types of things right with humor.
0: Uh, you've got like that the academy has a really neat ta structure that does feel family like that mm-hmm. allows for things like that Uh, to happen, to have those relationships built, which you mentioned earlier in your your answer there. Um, You you talked about a couple of things that our listeners might not be aware of uh, that you just kind of cruise through. So first of all, what what is Class Dojo?
1: Oh, so Class Dojo is an app um, that you can have your students enroll in. Elementary teachers, I think, use it a little bit more for behavioral purposes. So you can assign points for a variety of things. I purely use it to track parent agenda signings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the time That's they're in the junior line. high, it's their job to get their parents yeah. to sign it. That's always the message that I put forward. It's not your parents' job to sign your agenda. For it's sure. your job to get your parents to sign your agenda. Um, and so I use it to track that. And then we have a point system yeah. essentially where if they get 100 points individually through the year, I buy them lunch. Right, right. 50 gets them something. 25 gets them like a 3D printed fidget. Because cool. you know fidgets are a big deal too. They're, and, huge. they're um, huge. So they have incentives kind of throughout, but every once in a while we'll throw in a class challenge. Um, and so I track it for that. I also use it as a uh, decibel model monitoring system in our learning commons when all of our grade eights get together because they can be all on topic for math but be extremely loud so so we set it at a level and when it gets too loud an alarm
0: goes off so it checks the decibel oh yeah you can do tons of stuff within this
1: app it's actually pretty cool so
0: well cool that's a huge takeaway from the show which we didn't expect but uh, (laughs) thanks for introducing us all to class dojo Uh, now on to question two kelly there's a lot of Uh, a lot of reasons why I'd ask this question of you first is I know you're doing some graduate studies uh, that may pertain a little bit to this question and also know that that the Academy is deeply rooted in this question so let's get right to it Um, it's about innovation and I'm just curious you know what's the most interesting educational innovation that that you've experienced thus far uh, while you've been in, in education
1: um, it, when you posed this question to me and I kind of had a little bit of time to think about it, um, this one is a little bit tough for me because I think it's not necessarily one individual thing, but it's almost the trend of education mm-hmm. or the, like the trend of using technology in education. And so we have so many things that now allow for peer to peer collaboration peer and teacher collaboration, right. teacher-to-teacher collaboration right. um, through technology and so it's, it's almost bridged that gap of making teachers a standalone yeah. um, in terms of their planning and their organization but it's also allowed new ways for students to collaborate with each other um, whether that's you know looking at design software with computer-assisted design or whether it's my ability as a teacher to actually track data and analyze it to use um, towards bettering my practice there's there's so many little pieces of technology in there um but learning how to use those and implement them i guess well i think is the biggest innovation that i've seen
0: in my time and i think like uh it brings me to a conversation I had not long ago with somebody when they're saying like in society we move from like individualized approaches to a cooperative approach Mm -hmm. to now really rooting in on this collaborative approach i think we're going to talk a little bit more about that later in the the episode when we start talking about design thinking because that's really deeply rooted in in collaboration Um, I guess a follow-up question I would have for you is, you know, what challenges do kids or teachers have with the collaborative process that you're seeing, like as an innovation that's disrupting education?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think... Time, for sure, is definitely a big part of that. Um, We I've seen a few moments this year and in past years as we're starting to try to design our curriculum to be more collaborative for students that Mm -hmm. way. Um, Students have a hard time managing their time, and so we as teachers need to definitely facilitate that because um, they might fully buy into a project but then it becomes the be-all end-all of their life for a little while right um, whereas you know it might be one piece out of a major puzzle um, as teachers you know we have so many opportunities now to collaborate synchro- synchronously and asynchronously right absolutely. Um, and and finding kind of a best fit is hard yeah sometimes from a professional standpoint that way um, and just finding what best fits best for your family life for your personal life for your professional life um, and kind of of learning all of those it's hard because there's so much technology and it's on an exponential curve yeah um, you know we're lucky to have people such as Jody Switzer who kind of weed that out for us and, right. and bring the best of the best to us to use
0: totally and Jody's um, one of our tech integrators in the Rundle College Society we heard from Fiona Moore in a previous uh, interview and and their job is to really help us with those pieces is bringing it together and uh, your comments really remind me of a quote I read just recently and it said like if you'd like to go fast go alone Mm -hmm. but if you want to go far go together and uh and I agree I think it's like that whole collaborative process is a is a process of actually slowing down in an attempt to to get farther Mm -hmm. as you move ahead
1: yeah we push our students trying to get to know themselves as learners but you know as teachers we need to basically do the same thing
0: yeah it's hard work right I think Mm -hmm. it's super hard now you mentioned uh, educational tools that are enabling collaboration Mm -hmm. um Are there specific tools that that are worth mentioning you know for listeners who might be like oh that's something i could use or that that's something that's really worked for kelly maybe it could work for me
1: um so i teach a lot of math Mm -hmm. as you know um and so from a math perspective is one thing that we're still struggling with is that idea of collaboration um but there are some definitely some things built into the google suite that we've experimented with that work quite well so Quayshow actually allows you to edit math well in Google Docs and Google Sheets, which has actually allowed us to have our students create, um, you know, interactive reviews together um, that then I can kind of see their learning process. One thing that we use a lot through our junior high um, is ST Math, which is a really great program, which stands for spatial temporal math, yeah. um, out of the mind research Institute in California. Yeah. Um, and we use that a lot for discussion. So although it's really low tech, yeah. it's something that I can have streaming on my screen, but I can have all of the students in my class being engaged in a discussion about what Gigi the penguin is going to do to make it to the next level. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so even though they're not interacting with it individually, um, it's it's the discussion starter that I think is really really important, and not all tech needs to be everybody on a computer, or everybody on a screen. Right. Um, but it's facilitating those conversations, which totally I think about are important.
0: In- intentionality. Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly. I, um, yeah. No, it's really exciting, Kelly. I hope our listeners uh, do take the opportunity to check out the tools you just put forward. In particular, um, I know some of the value of the ST Math software is really really compelling for mm-hmm. kids, and and does bridge some of that gap between traditional and discovery math, Definitely. I think, in a, in a functional way. And I think we'll talk a little bit about that uh, just a little bit later in, in the episode. Sounds good. Okay, Ke- Kelly, moving on to question three, and this is one I've got a, a very deep curiosity in. And we've done interviews in the past with groups from IDEO and other folks who know a little bit about design methodology, but I also know that you're studying it as part of your master's mm-hmm. degree. So congratulations on that. And, and I can hardly wait. Here, with how you answer this question. So, um, how do you think design methodology could change education for our students? And as a follow up, why is it so important for education in the future?
1: So, sitting down and thinking about this, the first thing that came to mind was kind of like the Stanford D School. Um, it looks kind of linear but it's totally not Um, and I kind of focused in on the idea of iteration yeah and I think it's so important for our students to see iteration in all areas of academics Um, whether they're in junior high high school elementary school it doesn't matter what age level of education they're in there's there's preconceptions about what school is yes and it's reaching kind of the end when your teacher says it's the end and kind of that being the end point but that's not the end point so I think it holds so much promise Um, for our students to see connections between different areas Mm -hmm. uh, academically because right now we do live in a very siloed educational society um, where you know math is its own separate entity and social studies is its own separate entity but it doesn't need to be yeah Uh, and I think that that's where design can really help us Um, as teacher designers it's it's our job to start to try to bridge those gaps and create those connections for our students in terms of for the future I think our students are they're being educated for a world that we don't know what it's going to be yet. Yeah. Um, so the world that they're going to enter doesn't exist yet. That's right. And so as, as a teacher, my job isn't necessarily to teach them you know, the fundamentals of Pythagorean theorem, right. although that might be helpful for them in whatever their future job is. My job is to teach them mindset. Yeah. And yeah. if I haven't wow. taught them mindset, then that success in that world as to whatever it looks like yep. um, in 20 years isn't going to exist.
0: I love it and I think that whole idea of like in the past Kelly we used to talk about um, cross-curricular opportunities Mm -hmm. it was kind of like catchy and a bit of a um, yeah it was a bit of a thing for a while and now do you think like design methodology is the new cross-curricular methodology
1: well I think for myself personally, that's kind of what I'm using it for. So yep. we've designed a few new projects this year, um, looking at interconnectedness between science and ELA, for example. Cool. Um, so our we go on this field trip every year called River Watch, which yep. is a, a river monitoring program. Um, where they test the water quality of the Bow River yeah. uh, upstream and downstream of the waste treatment plant. And this year we teamed with our ELA department, and we actually turned it into a functional writing assignment. So mm-hmm. it wasn't so much just about we're going to go on this field trip and we're going to learn the science behind water quality testing. Mm-hmm. Now it was we're going to learn how to write like a scientist right. and actually be able to use our information that we collected to write in a functional, strategic, analytical way. No no. Yeah, and it was That's we learned cool. a lot as teachers, and we in our first iteration this year we learned a lot of things that we did wrong from a design process as teachers that we're going to fix next year but we think that that's a really great start and we hope it's helping our students to see connections there that's awesome and I think
0: it comes back to like as you're talking I'm like holy cow that's got a lot to do with empathy as well Mm -hmm. right and so Why don't you tell tell us a little bit about empathy and the design process and and what that looks like?
1: Yeah, so um, I was having a conversation with a teacher the other day just about where does empathy come in in the design process? And and Mm -hmm. I don't think it needs to be at the beginning. And for a lot of our students, it's not at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, For teachers, I think it needs to be more at the beginning. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so it's that struggle of what what is actual deep empathy versus kind of surface empathy right um right. and so our students in this project what we realized is that this is the beginning of the year um they're they're grade nine students they've never really written like this before and we're kind of asking this expectation of them mm-hmm. um without kind of thinking about where their background is and what where they're coming from as opposed to just being like oh they're in grade nine they can handle this now maybe yeah. they maybe they can't quite get there yet mm-hmm. um and so part so of are having
0: empathy for their empathy
1: Oh, kind of, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they realize they have empathy no, for themselves yet. No, I <laughs> yeah. Sure. To, sure. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so we need to take a step back as designers and we need to go back to our front end and look at how maybe we can scaffold for specific students mm-hmm. um, and work in some of those personalized learning opportunities. I know that doesn't really talk much about empathy, but yeah, it's it's. No, there, I think that's
0: the absolute root of it and I don't think yeah. you have to go any farther to to show that you're using empathy in your design process and you're also modeling that for the kids to use in their process as well. It's a it's pretty pretty cool. Thanks for that, uh Kelly. Um the design process is is so exciting and I think we're on a really neat path here at Rundle College and Academy in, in exploring further what design means for our kids. So thanks for being at the front of that um with us. Now moving on, I you've taught math for quite a while now and, and Frankly, you're the best math teacher I think I know. And so um, I often get asked, you know, what is traditional and what is discovery math and what, you know, how do they exist with each other and what's your opinion and so on and so forth. Uh, so right now I'm just going to default to you a little bit. Um, what do you, what's, here's a question. How do you manage to bridge traditional math strategies with discovery math?
1: Well, some high praise. I don't know if I deserve, but I'll <laughs> definitely talk about a uh, traditional and discovery math a little bit. Um, yeah. So when you sent me this question, I thought about it a little bit and I don't think my answer has really changed since the last curriculum shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's an either or situation. Right. Um, and so when we're designing, this is where that empathy thing that we just talked about I think right. really comes in is we need to meet our students where they're at. Love that. And... We need to, yeah, so we need to think about their authentic starting point mm-hmm. and that, to develop a true understanding of what our students need. So mm-hmm. drill and kill is not going to get us to complete student understanding, and mm. a lot of times neither is pure discovery or pure inquiry math. Right. There needs to be some scaffolds built in there, and there needs to be some some personalization to each of those. So, right. um an example that I think of with this is when we do integers, for example, so mm-hmm. we teach a, a unit at the beginning of the year in math eight that is about multiplying and dividing integers. Yeah. And so we can talk about rules. We can talk about, you know, when a good thing happens to a good person, that's good because it results in a positive outcome. Yeah. But we can also talk about using a number line and using manipulatives and developing personal strategies for success. So, right. so when we teach that unit, the first thing we start looking at is we look at a no- walking a number line yeah. and we talk about, you know, how do you end up at the positive end and how do you end up at the negative end right. and allow students to develop kind of their own strategies right. before we actually talk about more algorithmic type understanding yeah. um and so if i just gave them a sheet of integer practice and told them what the rules are they might be able to get 100% on that yeah. but they can't necessarily apply that to a situation yeah. so now if i said you know you're a mountain climber and you're at base camp and you're trying to get to this the top of the mountain and every day you're able to move a certain number of meters or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be, and posing it more in a in a real life situation, mm-hmm. um, that that application struggles without having that inquiry piece in there. Of um, we need to have that application there. Yeah. And and yeah, so I, I'm a firm believer in, in the combo deal. Yeah. The biggest thing that we can do, I think, as educators and as parents though in particular, is don't ever say that you hate math.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Regardless
1: of whether you learned in a traditional situation or in an inquiry situation, um, meet meet your kids, meet your students where they're at, and mm-hmm. and try to figure out what's going to be best for them to develop the understanding. That's ultimately what it comes down to.
0: Well, I think, I hope our listeners are, are listening having some of the same kind of aha and breakthroughs that, that I'm experiencing. It's a, I feel like what you've just said, Kelly, is, you know, discovering math is the most important piece. So it's not discovery math or traditional math, but it's about discovering math on your own terms, wherever you start, um, and, and really understanding what's what's in front of you, whether you're using an inquiry-based or algorithmic, algorithmic approach. It's all about just discovering math and embracing it, and you can hear the, that in your voice as you talk through like the warmth and admiration you have for the, for the topic. Yeah, I want,
1: I want students to be able to scaffold it onto something that they already know. Yeah. Like, if I'm thinking about myself as a teacher designer, it's my job to bridge those gaps mm-hmm. and try to
0: create those links. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, like, back to the very beginning when you are saying about excellence and relationships, I mean, it's certainly about building those relationships with the kids and understanding where they're at, whether Definitely. it's a love of math or a loathing of math, you know, I think helping them uh, move to a positive place is important. Definitely. Wow, very cool. Thank you for that. All right, Kelly, we're on to the fifth and final question of this segment. And uh, just recently, and I'm glad we've waited to do this interview, but um, you've been doing some really neat work in your classroom, and it's all around designing effective spaces for learning and for student use. And I believe it's in conjunction with a university project that you're working on. And uh, here at Rundle, we're supporting you through the project into changing your classroom to make it as effective as possible. So uh, I know there's a YouTube video out there about your uh, classroom transformation, but I'm curious as to hear just a little bit about from you, what, what has this project been like for you?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, this was actually kind of like the perfect alignment of timing at Rundle Academy and what I was doing in my degree. Um, so last semester or last October we had IDEO come and do yep. some sessions with us and it was perfect timing with this course that I was doing last semester about active learning spaces right so it was all around trying to redesign what a traditional classroom looks like for for students of today and for hopefully you know what our future could look like yeah and uh so having IDEO come in and do those sessions with us as teachers and with our students was such a such a good starting point that I was able to convince the other two colleagues that I was working with to redesign my classroom as kind of our final project. Um, and they, so Kathleen and Minar are the two ladies that I had the pleasure of working with on this project. Yeah. Um, one is was a teacher in Abu Dhabi at the time, and the other one works with the Calgary Board of Education. So oh. lots of diversity in terms no of no. ideas and understandings of what students need. Um, and so the three of us kind of came together, and the goal was to gut and redesign my classroom um which you know for anybody who's been at the academy is one of nine identical small rectangular boxes right that little, they're small tiny little yeah, learning spaces they too. are tiny little learning spaces um into a functional um multimodal space and not that it isn't right now, but IEO challenged us and you challenged us to try to make our spaces better and how can we redefine and use our spaces better? And so that's kind of what we did. And we really focused on that idea of having, um, the watering cooler or the watering hole and then having the cave and having the campfire and, uh, working with, with the the methodology around that and thinking about color and space and all those types of things. And, uh, when, when all was said and done, we had done so much research on different types of tables and different sorts of, sorts of things, is that the Academy actually does a really good job with a lot of our stuff already. Yeah. And it was, we got into one of those situations where um, we weren't necessarily changing things just for the sake of changing things, but we wanted it to be really intentional with things in mind. So with our student profile, we thought a lot about seating. Yeah. Um, so a variety of seating, which already exists in the classroom, but yeah. just kind of taking that to the next level. And, um almost making students actually be more empathetic with themselves and with their classmates as to what their actual needs are versus what's just fun. Um, but the main switch is none of the rooms that are that size in the academy. And I have to credit Heather Scott with helping me with this realization. Um, they all face kind of the, to the short end of the wall. And so I want to flip it and move it the other way. And then the other thing that we talked about was, um, the footprint of the door. So when right. you have such a small space, I can't actually remember what the dimensions of the room are off the top of my head. Um, but they're when like you have about
0: like, 6 by 10 if you're looking at it. <laughs> meters. not huge. Meters. You think 6 meters? I don't think it's 6 Well, it's not right. 6 feet. That's, oh, that's They're small. small. Yeah, okay. They're, they're okay. small. But you could lay
1: down long ways in the room. I right could now. lay down. Yeah, yes, okay. So. Probably 10 feet. <laughs> okay, let's <well>, say 10. <laughs> I have the dimensions downstairs. I yeah. think it's. I think it actually works out to be about 14 by like 24 Okay, cool. That. cool um but when you think about the swing of a door that way yeah. and how many feet or meters or whatever you want to consider that way that takes up why why are we not changing those out to actually make that functional space yeah. for ourselves um so that's something that we want to look at um over the christmas break i had all the tables painted in the clear um whiteboard paint cool. which i held out for for quite a few years yeah. there's lots of teachers that have the white and the the control freak in my mind couldn't yeah. handle that because they always look dirty. They're messy. Yeah. They yeah. look dirty all the time. And, but since I know it's only a few weeks in and I'm sure that that'll change, but I use Sarah and Steve in the elementary. They were my prototypers on that one. Yep. and I've been watching their tables for the last year and a half to see <laughs> if I still could clean. see yeah. if they're still clean and they are. So I was like, Hey, I can move yeah, forward with this awesome. now. Um, and the kids have been loving it. So, yeah. so junior high non permanent surfaces, especially as we're reviewing for midterms right now, is huge. It is huge. Um, Reduce the teacher footprint in the room tremendously. Was another big
0: part of your video was you know you looked at how much space you were taking up mm-hmm. in the room, and it seemed non commensurate with well how much space kids need, and so you made that adjustment. So. What exactly did you do there?
1: Um, so right now, the only thing that I've done in that moment is I've taken my desk and I've pushed it up against the window, um, which has actually been great. Uh, the only time that I'm ever at my desk anyways is when I have a prep or when I'm doing administrative work, which, you know, based on my current job, is is a pretty significant time yeah, throughout sure. the day. Um, it's funny because a few people have brought up, aren't you afraid that someone's going to sneak up on you? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I, I have that feeling. Maybe I need a <laughs> concave mirror or a convex yeah, mirror up in the top so I can <laughs> see what's going on behind me. Um, but it has. It's yeah. really decreased the, the amount of space that's in the room yeah. and uh, and the students like it too. Yeah. So so they notice how much more space there is. Yeah. And I've actually showed them the designs and I had my TA really be a part of um, in our morning chats yeah. is I would show them kind of the the schematic we were working on. I said, you know, what do you think? What should we do here? cool so cool. Yeah.
0: And I think, uh, like, I, I just love the intentionality of your use of space and I like would like to challenge other teachers, whether at Rundle or otherwise, to think about that. I think it's really important, and even as far as like the innovation about the door, you know, swinging in and taking up so much of the footprint, and if we can change that, whether it's through a pocket door or, or something similar, that really changes the game inside inside your space. I think all teachers anywhere can look at space differently that way. Oh, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Thank you for your hard work in that space, Kel. Thanks. Okay, so for those of you who have listened to the Heads Up podcast before, you know we always end with a rundle Rumble. It's a 10-question, quick-fire, rapid-association uh, game we play with each of our guests. So, Kelly, are you ready to go? Yes. Okay, here we go. Number one, uh, The Oil.
1: Edmonton. Yeah,
0: <laughs> the best team, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, number two, Heather Scott. Amazing. Truly. Best best teammate. Yeah, you guys are, are an amazing team down in the junior high hallway. Uh, junior high school math
1: uh an interesting place to work dynamic
0: is dynamic yeah. and i miss it that's for sure uh number four student council
1: student voice um yeah i don't know what to say with that one that's just an amazing group of kids that they just put all their energy into everything that they bring every yeah. thursday morning
0: and student leadership is so important yeah. in our schools and you've always been a huge champion for it so thanks for your hard work in that space uh, mr vandermeer
1: great former teammate and awesome principal <laughs>
0: You hear that, Keith? Right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Try to try to decipher that, Keith. Yeah. (laughs) No sarcasm. Number six is running.
1: Oh, I love it. That's where I get all my ideas from. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Seven home renovations.
1: Oh, a never-ending process. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Number eight trivia.
1: I love trivia. Um, That's not a trivia question, though. (laughs) It should actually be a question. I know it should be.
0: And you and your husband are the best trivia players I've ever ever been around, for sure. Uh, number nine, design thinking.
1: Um, it's integral to everything that I'm doing right now.
0: Yeah, so exciting. And number 10, what is success to you?
1: Waking up every day ready and happy to go to work.
0: Right on. Okay, well, Kelly, thanks for taking the time. I hope uh, lots of people give this a lesson and, and are inspired by by your process and everything you're doing in math and in design and, uh, and all those spaces. Thanks for taking the time today.
1: Thanks for having me i